Hello and welcome to Beautiful Minds, the podcast bringing mental health to the forefront. In this episode, we will be exploring the impact of COVID-19 on our mental health. And for today, we'll focus, the, we'll focus on the effects of lockdown loneliness on young people. Lockdown has been a particularly challenging time for 18 to 24 year olds, and reports suggest that they could be at risk of developing mental health issues. I'll be talking to Omar Aline from Coventry University and a founder of the Stress Management Society, Neil Shaw, about what it's like to be a young person in such, in these crazy times. So before we go ahead, hi and welcome. Maybe we can start by hearing a little bit about you both. So, hey Omar, how's it going? Hey, I'm good. Um, I'm well, thanks. Um, yeah, how are you? Very well. Uh, so, what is it that you do? So I'm, uh, well, I'm going into my third year now, media communication student. Um, I also like to put my degree to use and I um, quite often run, um, well, podcast sessions like yourself about media theory and culture and society, as well as our live stream um, media theory revision sessions for my fellow classmates. Brilliant. That's amazing. What about, hi now, how's it going, Neil? Wonderful. Thank you, Sam. Thanks for having me. No problem. Uh, so what is it that you do? What do I do? That's <laughs> a question. That's a very hard question for me to answer. Um, I guess I am someone that is here to disrupt the narrative and to ensure we are focusing on the true issues that are facing society, not the ones that we are told to focus on. There are many public health and social risks that are, are ignored, leading to significant consequences, particularly to young people. Um, and we've got to the point where the pandemic we've been told to focus on isn't the true pandemic. There was another one that arrived long before this one and cost us way more young lives than the one that we're told to be scared about. But it's not something that gets discussed or shared anywhere near enough. And that is the mental health pandemic. So what do I stand for is ensuring that we are treating all of the public health and social risks proportionately, particularly the mental health one, which for far too long has been ignored. Amazing. Thank you very much. Uh, so, Omar, can you can you tell me about your experiences in the pandemic? Yeah, happily. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's one of those funny questions, because every time I'm asked this, I have this temptation to be like, everything was fine. Um, and I actually went on to a, a show um, back in September um, about mental health issues. And uh, when the, the host like, kind of broke a joke on the intro and then that kind of like lifted my mood a little bit and it, get, it kind of led me to live in a completely different answer um so since then I've had more time to think about these sorts of questions um the pandemic my pandemic experience was, was a strange one um the pandemic itself wasn't something that kind of got me down if that makes sense um the idea that we had to be inside was something I was quite welcoming to I wasn't exactly the most social person in the world um but what did kind of really hit me was the idea or the actual the, the literal, literality, I have to say, of the um, the lockdowns in that way kind of meant for me. Um, for me, university was meant to be a way for me to get back home. I had moved out um, after sixth form and I spent some time working, but the kind of job market was starting to dry up in the in the West Midlands. So um, one way for me to come back was to take up a job in London. Um, however, it required me to have a degree. So for me, um, I was meant to be between London and Coventry studying and being back home. And when the lockdown really hit, um, I kind of realized for the first time that 
I'm many, many miles away from home. I can't just travel down like I used to. Um, the situation which would allow me to go home has completely changed as well because I'm from a working class background and all of my family are um, essential workers. So for me to go down, it kind of felt like I was taking an unnecessary risk, um, especially for them as well. Um, and if something did happen, then we'd all kind of be stuck in the, the same place and no one could kind of help each other out. So there was a lot of guilt for me. Um, that was my major mental health crises during the pandemic. Um, and what I didn't expect to happen, um, so many people talk about um, the, the isolation aspect of it in terms of the, that's, that their social battery doesn't get refilled, right? For me, that wasn't right. necessarily, the, it was more like, I'm usually the family member that a lot, of, like, a lot of my family turn to when they need help and I wasn't there. And I just felt this, this massive sense of guilt that I was doing something for myself um, by getting an education, but because I was no longer available to them, um, I was kind of letting them down. I see. So, so how have your, uh, do you have any coping strategies that you could share with, like, what have your coping strategies been through that? Yeah, um, there, there, I've had quite a few, funnily enough. Um, I, <laughs> it might be hard to believe, but I was, um, ironically, what I'm about to say, but I was reading um, a study on uh, how people with, with faith um able to are able to kind of like offset their their stress loads and i was kind of turned on and i was like wait a minute i come from a faith background why am i not like you know turning to the good book as it were and looking for advice here so one of the things that one of the things like the bible kind of talks about is like having good counsel um and i was like wait a minute i have friends around me who work in mental health um who manage these sorts of things but i'm not talking to them um and so the first thing i did was actually talk to my friends in a way that wasn't superficial um, that was the first thing I got more books. Um, I started watching more like mental health content during the pandemic. Um, so like, yeah, looking at like, Instagram accounts and they had like live sessions where mental health professionals would go on and they'd like interview people. And I like watched those and I was like, wow, there's so many good tips to take from that. So um, for me, uh, my coping strategy mainly is actually talking about it. <laughs> funny enough, and that's been the thing that's, that's, that's been a massive help. Yeah, um, it's funny how something so small um, it's just like being honest about how you actually feel um, about what you're going through. And sometimes just venting is the thing that kind of gets it off and then you just feel better about it. Um, and that's something I never, I never used to do before. Like I said, I was, the, I was a family member that people depended on. And so I kept a lot of things to myself. Um, but now the, the situation has really forced me to, to reevaluate that, that strategy in life. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, no. Well, thank you so much, Omar. Thank you for that. So, um, hi, Neil, again, uh, how's it going? Um, so can you tell me how common, uh, the types of issues that Omar has been through in, you know, in, uh, how you've seen at least? Well, you, you know, this hasn't been the same experience for everybody. Um, and I think that's one of the, the, the key things the, the many of the people we hear from, uh, and also many people that get to make the decisions around what happens next are not people that are directly impacted by those decisions or not, not in the same way that the vast majority of Britons are. Um, in, in the sense that if you live in a four bedroom house in Hertfordshire, you've got a nice garden, you've got a study that you can go and work or, or kind of get away, you, you, know, you know, that there's a space for the kids to homeschool. You know, that's it would be still challenging, but it's very different than if you're in a one bedroom flat in Spark Hill, Moss Side, Hackney. 
with three kids that have been homeschooled. And I think this is one of the key things. This has not been the same experience for everyone. Some people are furloughed and they were still getting their money. Some people were able to work from home. What if you work in hospitality, travel, arts, leisure, culture? You know, forget a job. You might not have an industry. Um, and there are many young people that are now in university that are studying. And essentially, they've inherited a country that is on its knees. And they are going to be paying for that for the rest of their lives. And my concern is that actually what some of the decisions have made in very, very short term. And there's a lot of people. And I put myself in the same category, by the way. I put my hands up and say, I put myself in the category I'm just about to introduce. And that is that of champagne lockdowners. I have a nice house. I have a nice life. I was able to work. I, I, my bills are getting paid. It was an inconvenience. It was uncomfortable. The tragedy of this situation was not based on my circumstance. It was based on what I'm witnessing happening around me, witnessing the amount of people that are really struggling and really suffering. And many of those people do not have a voice or a platform. Students that essentially, like the, the students in Manchester, that essentially were barricaded into their halls. They weren't even allowed to go out to buy food. And it was just like, what, what are we doing here? And also the fact that we decided to take away all the things that make people healthy, like going to the gym, like exercising, like socializing, like spending time with friends and family. You, you could happily go to the supermarket, buy a bottle of vodka, 20 box, uh, box of 20 cigarettes and pick up a McDonald's on the way home. If this was really about public health, then we would ban all the things that make people sick and allow them to do the things that make them healthy. In fact, encourage them to do that. So this is one of the things that, that for, for me is really important. We start actually looking at how we are struggling and who is really going to bear the brunt of the trauma of this situation. And sadly, the younger you are, the more you're going to be affected by this situation. If you're 30, 40, 50 years of age, a year of your life, it's a long time. But as a percentage, it's a 30th or a 40th of your life. If you're 16, 17, 18, that one year is a significant chunk of your life where you're developing relationships, you're learning to communicate, you're, you're basically finding your place in the world. If you're six or seven, you don't remember what your life was like before this all started. So there's a collective trauma that has been enforced upon a generation of children, most of which are not even at risk of this scenario. So the point I'm making here is, OK, the decisions were made and we had to take extreme course of action. I'm not disputing that. But we needed to consider the, 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 the repercussions of those courses of action. Because we've been through a collective process of trauma, we need to go through a collective process of healing. And this is something for me that's really, really important. Any child that has a significant trauma in childhood, that will template their behavior for the rest of their lives. And as a mental health professional for over 20 years, I can tell you that, that most people in adulthood are dealing with traumas that were developed in childhood. We have basically created a generation of children that are likely to suffer from OCD behaviors, fear, social anxiety, agoraphobia. And how many people are now struggling to reintegrate to normal levels of life? And it also what I find fascinating is in previous generations when social change was instigated, we've seen this you know, over the last hundred years, it was typically students and youths that were instigating those social changes. Now, what's happened in this situation, again, kind of we, we've nullified them. And I, I think it's really, really important. We start to have open conversations about the fact that this, is, this has been a really tough and challenging time. We have been traumatized by what's happened. And until we start making it okay to not be okay, to understand that actually, yes, and, and, and I really respect Omar for, uh, for, for, for kind of sharing that it is good to talk and many of us don't talk you know we just keep quiet suck it up you know we'll get through this couple more weeks couple more weeks 18 months later here we are and you know just when we thought freedom day which was a few days ago 
was close, that was taken away as well. So now we've lost the sense of certainty that the light at the end of the tunnel keeps being moved. The goalposts keep being moved. So what happens in that scenario is people start to lose faith. And this is, again, I appreciate the fact that Omar brought up faith, because faith can come in many different guises. It can come from religion. It can come from connection. It can come from my belief in something beyond myself. And I'm going to say, I don't mean to cause any offence, particularly for those of you that, that do have established religions that you follow. I, I felt a deep sense of connection, almost a spiritual experience, two nights ago in Wembley Stadium, because I was with 20,000 other fans singing the same song at the same time. I felt a sense of connection for the first time in 18 months to a big group of people. Now, isn't that what life is about, is to feel that kind of connection, whether that's, you know, at university, we're out with friends and family, out at a festival, kind of feeling the connection to something beyond ourselves. And we've been isolated. We've been, you know, we, we, our body language has been taken away because most of our communications take place in these little boxes. You, you know, when you do see people in the streets, the, the, their faces are covered. So, so our ability to communicate, which is a core factor for human well-being, has been taken away. 55% of our communication is body language. And if we can't see and connect with the people around us, then we, we get to the point we start to feel very isolated. And a lot of people aren't aware. In 2018, Britain employed a loneliness minister, a government minister responsible for loneliness, because at that point it had been recognised to be a chronic mental health condition. That was pre-pandemic. It hasn't got better in the last 18 months. More people are feeling more lonely and isolated than ever before. And sadly, we also have to bear in mind that for, for a man under the age of 45 or a 15 to 29-year-old, Suicide is the main cause of death, yet it's one that we don't talk about. And this is really where yeah, yeah. it's about protecting lives. The most vulnerable aspects of our society are being failed because we don't even acknowledge the issues, let alone take action to address them. And that's really why I feel it's really important we have these discussions and we do share perspective. And there's no right or wrong. It's like if there are people out there that are listening that don't agree with my perspective, great, I value that. If people do agree with my perspective, great, I value that too. We need to get back to the point in society where we can disagree and still have open conversation debate. Someone that doesn't believe the same things as you is not your mortal enemy. And we have got a, to that point in society where some people are Mars, some people are no Mars, some people are vaccine, some people are no vaccine. And the people that don't believe the same things as you are the mortal enemy. How did that happen? Can't we just talk and debate and, and share ideas and find the best way forward for all of us? And that's Very really where, where I'm really keen for us to get back to a point where we can have these kind of dialogues and we can openly share our thoughts and perspectives right or wrong absolutely no i i, I totally agree so um what kind of what can you give any advice to omar and people like him and listeners as well about uh coping absolutely firstly i want to say that whatever you experience is valid no one can tell you what to feel. There's a lot of people that right now will tell you, oh, don't, be, don't worry, it's going to be fine. Just pull your socks up, just soldier. Just do your bit. Everything's going to be fine in a couple of weeks. Well, I'm here to say to you, it might not be fine. It might be, but it might not be. And no one can invalidate what you're feeling, whatever you are going through. If you think this is great, it's wonderful, it's the best thing that's ever happened, wonderful. You are totally entitled to that. Also, if you think this is a tragedy and you feel your life has been destroyed, you are totally entitled to have that perspective no one can invalidate your emotions people will try people will tell you oh just because you're young you need to suck it up and do it for everyone else well no when when you get on a plane so for those of you who kind of you know memory starts to play planes are these metal tubes we used to fly in in the old world before kelly came along you might not remember it's been a long time those, those metal tubes we used to travel around the world in and maybe some point in the future we'll be able to do that again before that plane takes off 
They used to go through safety instructions and explain what you should do if there's a, an emergency and dropping cabin pressure. And what do they, you know, Sam Omar, what do they normally tell you to do before you try and put a mask on someone else, before you put on a child, an old person, an injured person? What should you always do? Say so, so that again. Yeah, put on your, your mask. Yeah. Whoa, Omar, that's so selfish. Why would you do that? <laughs> and the reason for that is you cannot help anybody else if you don't take care of yourself. And again, I, I appreciate Omar for you saying that, you know, you have taken the time to prioritize your needs to look after yourself and you normally are the person that's there for everyone else. You can't pour from an empty cup. You can't help anyone else unless you're taking care of yourself. So the first thing I'll say to everybody listening today, you are the most important person in your universe. And until you've taken care of yourself, you are in no position to help anybody else. So make sure you're looking after yourself. And, you know, the advice you're being given is, you know, sanitize and socially distance and stay at home and save lives. Great. Okay, do all those things, but that is not more important than looking after your health and well-being. Making sure you eat right, make sure you sleep well, make sure you exercise. Maybe do some meditation or have some kind of spiritual practice. Making sure you take the time for emotional connection with the people you care about. Look after your mental state. Turn off social media. Stop watching the news. Fill your stuff with stuff that uplifts you rather than depresses you. Because when you take back control and you take on the things that are most valuable to your health and well-being, because you ain't going to get that from the news. You're not going to get that from the government. And sadly, you're not going to get that from the NHS, because I don't see posters going up saying, make sure you eat your five bits of fruits and vegetables a day. Make sure you get a good night's sleep. Make sure you walk 10,000 steps a day. Make sure you drink at least two liters of water a day. I've not seen any adverts around that. I've not seen anyone promoting, you know, making sure you've got nutrition, good nutritional intake. You're taking vitamin C and vitamin D. Well, surely that would be a better strategy to protect the health of the nation then to continue scaring them and creating stress, because we all know when you're stressed, your immune system suppressed, you're more susceptible to illness. So Omar, when you're preparing for an exam, you're high levels of stress, would you agree you're more likely to catch a cold or a flu? I guess so. I mean, I, 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 do have to, I do have to preface that and say I don't have any exams. That's the one thing. And two, um, exams were never a stressful moment for me. So I don't want to you know, contribute to a narrative that I can't, you know, no, I, can't, I can't jump in on that one, unfortunately. Have you ever had periods of, of stress in your life where you found that you're more susceptible to illness? Susceptible? I mean, so you're yeah, more likely. Yeah. I'm going to so, say, yeah. But the thing is, when I was stressed, I didn't get sick, if that makes sense. I didn't have like a cold. It was, um, yeah, my own medical background is one where I had health crises more so than, you know, stress led to a health crisis. That's the only thing I'd say about that, unfortunately. Ah, fair enough. Now, the, and, and anyway, whether that's the case or not, what I would say, don't believe anything I say. Like, everything I'm sharing with you today, don't believe me. Blind faith is one of the most dangerous things in the world. Verify this for yourself. If you, you, you can happily Google this, you'll find out where MD, it's a biological fact, not Neil's opinion, a biological fact that when you are stressed, your immune system is suppressed because you've gone into survival mode, right? Your body's trying to fight that saber-toothed tiger. Being able to deal with bugs and bacteria isn't your priority. So the immune system, digestion, high brain function are things that are suppressed. In that state, it allows you to deal with the immediate threat, but obviously there is a payoff. Long-term health and well-being is compromised. So what I'm saying is the we are all very, very stressed at the moment because of everything that's going on in the world. When we are stressed, we are more likely to get ill. It's quite literally the worst thing you want to do in the face of, uh, of a pandemic or a public health risk is to find yourself in a state of stress because you're more likely to catch, catch a cold or a flu or the dreaded COVID. So th this is one of the things that, as I said, like it's basically putting yourself back in the driving seat, taking responsibility. At some level, we all know 
what leads to health and what leads to illness, right? So, you, you know, there are things that are going to make you feel good. You go to the gym, you exercise, you go for a walk or a run, you spend time with friends and family, you, you eat right, you sleep well, it improves your health. You go on a three-day bender, eating kebabs and, and, and you know, staying up all night and, and whatever, you're going to feel pretty crap at the end of it. And you're more likely to catch, yeah. catch a cold or a flu in that state. So this is really where, as I said, like, a, a, you know, it's not necessary for me to sit here and be prescriptive, like you must do X, Y, and Z. We all know, we all know what leads to health and what doesn't. And this is really where it's up to us to take personal responsibility for that. Um, not wait for someone to give you permission or to give you the, the information, which is it, it mostly common sense. So this is really where this is really where I said like it, it, it's time for us to start taking back control, not waiting for permission. Um, taking control of what goes into our mind, how we look after our bodies, how we start to emotionally connect in whatever ways is appropriate and feasible for us. The social connection, which has really suffered, and many of us are feeling lonely and isolated, and obviously that creates tremendous challenges. Um, but also, you know, coming back to, to Omar's point, is that spiritual connection now. There are many different ways to be able to ensure you are having your spiritual needs met. It could be religion. It could be prayer. It could be meditation. It could be time in nature. I'm talking about your connection to something bigger, something greater. What we have done in modern society, which for me is very dangerous, we have made mental health to be an individual issue. It's not and it never was. Mental health is a social issue. Individualizing it just means that we're taking responsibility away from the collective. We all have a collective responsibility to start to destigmatize, to open up the dialogue, to make it okay to not be okay. In the Absolutely. same way, that, in the same way, that we have no problems talking about, you know, viruses and all other manner of illnesses, and in the past, heart disease and cancer and stroke and diabetes, no problem talking about that. We still, in 2021, have great difficulties having open dialogues around mental health. Agreed. Yeah. Well, thank, thank you so much, Neil. And uh, I'm going to now hand you over to my co-host, David. Hello. Hi, David. Hi, Hi everybody. David. Good afternoon. Uh, got a few questions here. Uh, two questions. Question one is from a young lady called Jemima, and I believe she's a student at the Coventry University. Right. This is Jemima's question. What do you do when you're on the cusp of giving up the thing about giving up is that quite often you feel like you're trapped in a moment that feels like it's going to go on forever um and unfortunately it's one of those things where you need perspective on like look back at not even the last time you had a bad moment look at the last time you had a good one look at the last time you had a medium one where you like happiness and sadness are extremes right but so you look back at all of those moments and like none of them were ever forever even i, I used to get bullied at school in primary school right and when you're in that moment you feel like oh my gosh it's gonna it's gonna go on into infinite, yeah, infinitely the school ends um the next scenario starts i started secondary school and i never had that issue ever again um even as i looked back at my primary school experience the the worst years were really one term and then afterwards i you know i managed to deal with it a little bit better and so when you feel like giving up a lot of the time you have to ask yourself why do i feel like this and a lot of the times you give yourself answers that feel like they um, like almost self-serving answers like, oh, I did this or I did this or this happened to me and I can't control it. Um, quite often, that's not the complete truth. And you have to kind of re remind yourself that's not the complete truth, that there are elements you can and can't control. And so quite often, really be quite 
critical of why you're critical of yourself right now um, or of, the, of your situation and, and look at the moment, look at the, the small things which you can control and just find some semblance of what you can control in your life. Um, that's what I've usually had to do when, is that like, for example, with, with what happens to me when I was feeling quite a, a high level of guilt, it might not be, well, it's definitely not the, the same level as, as depression. So I can, I'm only going to be able to empathize here. Um, however, the thing for me was that I looked at, you know, the situation, I said, oh, you know, I can't go see my family. There's a government mandated lockdown. Um, the other thing is that I'm, I'm, I'm worried about endangering my family. So what can I do? And so what I did is I threw myself at creative projects that helped me a justify why um, I was going to be by myself for so long. Um, I looked at what I can do, which was essentially try and supplement my income because I couldn't rely on my family to send me money to get shopping during the time where I was expecting to be at home. So I would have to pay for shopping. So um, I, I, I did like online jobs and um, I, I saw what, um, what made me happy. So I knew playing games made me happy. So I you know, played games for an hour and then I made some bread a few times and I learned, picked up a new skill. I knew I could go on a walk. So I went on a walk and you know, that sense of you know, being outside and smelling fresh air, touching grass, those things made me feel a bit better. I knew that how I felt, that, that level of guilt was something that was, I could only, that I was given to myself. I looked at the situation and said, hey, um, uh, even though I know that it's not my fault there's a lockdown, I know it's not my fault there's a pandemic, um, why I feel this way is not only because of my, it's because I want to feel dependent on, right? Um, and so letting go of that emotion was something that really helped me massively. And again, looking at resources like um, I picked up a book, I have yeah, time, time to talk. Um, yeah, time to talk by Alex Reed. I'm looking at the book now. Um, that helped me realize that, hey, look, there's a massive issue of a lot of people are going through a mental health crisis right now. A lot of them are black men who unfortunately do turn to suicide. And I was like, I don't want to be a statistic fundamentally. I want my life to actually mean something. Um, I, want to, I want to leave a legacy for other people. I, like I tapped into my own ego. I knew my own ego would kind of keep me going there. Um, and I knew I could do something. Um, um, like I, I was studying for a reason. I wanted to accomplish something. I wanted other people to I get or find a reason why media is important and like we're on a podcast about mental health hopefully this you know helps someone um and I looked at all the reasons that kind of helped me keep going and that's what kind of led me to tell myself to not stop um and I, I can only hope that um what I went through and what I'm telling you now is is useful to you if you feel like you want to give up because I mean yeah it, it feels easy to and it feels hard to continue keep going but I feel way better now now that I've actually kind of like dealt with and looked at myself more critically and I love myself a little bit more for it because I, I I don't feel so you know weak to the world I feel like I actually have um, some reasons to, to keep going and I hope you you find them in your own life as well because funny enough my answers were staring, staring at me in the face you know I have a PlayStation right next to me right now I could play that for for a bit and I felt a bit better after an hour I could I could look outside and I can see there's a there's a a pedestrian walkway yeah. I can go for a walk you know sometimes the answers are right in front of you you just have to look at your world a little bit differently absolutely got Neil and Omar thank you both so much for your time and your wise words uh, may, I just, uh, may I just add something for Jemima because I think that's a it's, it's a big question and and obviously there I know there are a lot of people feeling that way so I just wanted to offer some perspective if I may on that question because there's, there's something that's very important for people to take on board, and it's the universal law of impermanence. Nothing in this universe is permanent. Absolutely nothing. That's a law of physics. It's not my opinion. It's a, it's a, a, a fact of physics. You, you are not permanent. You will die. Uh, thank you very much. This is David. Uh, we're going to have to close now. Thanks to all, all parties that have helped today, but we've slightly nearly overrun, but thank you very much to you all. 
and I wish you all the best and goodbye. This podcast is one of three brought to you by Sound Ideas in conjunction with Time Banking UK, Coventry and Warwickshire CDA and Creative Lives. If you would like to hear the other two podcasts, they are available on anchor.fm slash soundideas or contact us on info at cwcda.co.uk.